three, two, one. Hit it. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with some of these people. I put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, Would you rather? All right, trust me. Take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. How's it going, guys? Welcome to Nervous Habits. This week, I'll be joined by best-selling author Amy Morgan for a conversation on meditation and mindfulness. We'll be exploring issues including how you can train your mind and body into being responsive instead of reactive, the importance of meta-attention in mindfulness, paying attention to what you're paying attention to, some alternatives to meditation for people who can't seem to turn off their stream of consciousness, and finally, why you should consider a half day or full day of complete silence. So close your eyes, take a deep breath, and relax with me on this all-new episode of Nervous Habits. So if you're listening to this and you've had a stressful day, you've had a stressful week, you've had a stressful month, you've had a stressful year, you find yourself jumping around from task to task, chaotic and busy and overstretched and distracted, I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I think that all of us, to a certain degree, are, and it's been this way for, for, for years now, uh, are in this state of constant restlessness where we just, we don't know how to sit still. Um, I talk about with Amy the cultural ADHD with technology, how we're bouncing from screen to screen, something that I talk a lot about on the podcast, um, how people can't sit silently, people can't sit, you know, and just think. And I, I, and I think that one of the remedies to that is uh, embracing and exploring mindfulness, um, which my guest Amy Morgan and I speak, uh, speak about quite a bit. And I think, you know, like most things, it's, it's a practice that takes a lot of time before you can, you know, really be comfortable being calm. I mean, look at this this podcast, Nervous Habits. I've, I've made a complete, you know, brand on being nervous and being restless and not being able to sit still. And um, so I don't think anyone can benefit from this more than I can. Uh, but so you'll hear from Amy in a moment. And she has a very calm and soothing way of speaking. And she speaks very slowly and calmly and takes her time between sentences. And it's just interesting how when you speak like this, how when you speak in this tone and with this tempo, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's no anxiety, there's no fear, there's no tension. And it's just completely calm. I wonder if I had a podcast where I actually spoke, uh, <laughs> I spoke like that, if anyone would even listen to it, if all of a sudden it was, hey there, welcome to Nervous Habits. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen, and this is a podcast about releasing all the tension in your life. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure, but be that as it may, um, my guest, Amy Morgan, is an avid meditator and mindfulness advocate who completed the mindfulness-based stress reduction course developed by world-renowned uh, mindfulness teacher John Kabat-Zinn. She's also the author of the book, The Chaos Antidote, A Fable About 
mindfulness. All, all that I ask is that you go into this conversation with an open mind. I know that a lot of folks listening are skeptical about things like meditation. It's, you know, for some people it might be kumbaya, let's, let's hold hands and dance around the campfire. But I do think that even if you're not meditating per se, there are still alternatives that uh, Amy and I discussed that you can do to unlock that inner calm and relaxation. So without further ado, my conversation with Amy Morgan. Amy, welcome to Nervous Habits. Thank you, Ricky. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. You study psychology and, and mindfulness. How long have you been interested in, in the field and what really piqued your interest? All right. So I, my path to mindfulness uh, began actually several years ago. Um, I experienced a life-threatening miscarriage. And during this very painful situation, as you can imagine, um, I began to realize how unhappy I'd become. And I tried to distract myself, you know, with work, technology, shopping, the things that we do. Um, and the more that I ran, the more unhappy I became. And my life really became um, chaotic. Um, and so after years of running from all those feelings, um, Ricky, I came to this point where I realized I had two choices. I could continue to run and suffer, or I could find another way. And I chose to find another way. So the answer is kind of getting a little bit long, but I think it's important to know um, how things unfold. And so I spent years um, devouring all of these self-help books. You know, I'm a self-proclaimed type A human. <laughs> and um, so it was books and it was classes and it was trainings. Um, I took copious notes. And one day I decided it was probably time to step back and read all of these notes that I've been feverishly <laughs> taking. And um, what became abundantly clear to me was that I was never present. I was never in a moment. My mind and my body were never in the same place at the same time. Mm. And I needed to be more mindful that that was causing a lot of suffering for me. And so I ended up taking the mindfulness-based stress reduction course. I don't know if you've heard that in BSR. No, I haven't. It's a lovely course um, developed by John Kabat-Zinn, which if you've um, done some work in mind the mindfulness field, he's obviously very huge. And I, I began to sit and talk and move more mindfully. And I just felt this profound shift in my spirit, in my body, in my emotions. I really became a lot more calm and grounded by doing this, uh, this mindfulness work. And so that's how my path to mindfulness came about. Well, you know, uh, th first of all, thank you, Amy, for, for sharing all that. I'm terribly sorry to hear, you know, w about what you went through. It is, it is refreshing. It, it's, um, it's nice to hear that you were able to channel that energy into something you're passionate about. I think uh, for a lot of people listening, Amy, when you talk about you're always distracting yourself, you're moving from task to task, not really listening to the voice inside your head, you know, you're not really being present, you're always facing the future. Do you find that uh, it, folks you talk to, potential readers that maybe write in, um, have expressed the same sort of being in that headspace that you were in prior to exploring mindfulness? That's a great question. Actually, that is kind of part of the journey um, has been when I experienced what I did, um, the pain and the suffering and the running, 
um, I started meeting with friends and colleagues and talking to them, um, trying to figure out, you know, what I should do. And um, I found that, you know, when you open yourself up to other people um, in a very vulnerable way, a beautiful thing happens. It, I, it's, it's kind of magical where, where a lot of times they will be more vulnerable with you. And, and these women that I met with um, shared really deep things with me and I realized that they were still struggling. <laughs> this is not something that just got put to bed, you know, five years ago. It was stuff that was still just, you know, in the front of their consciousness as they were trying to live and it was a distraction. And, and often that's kind of called the rumination bit, you know, you're going mm -hmm. back to the past, you know, back to the past. And I realized that um, I just really felt in meeting with loads of other women, I found that it was pervasive, um, the sense of rumination and trying to plan ahead and never being where we were and that that in and of itself, not facing the pain and um, learning how to be mindful was part of the, a big part, I think, of, of hmm. the stress that they were um, experiencing. And I really wanted to help with that. So if you'll indulge me for, for, for a little bit, because I, I am a, uh, a big time self-help reader and, and devoured quite a, quite, quite a few books in my time. And I'm listening to you explain um, sort of, you know, what you went through and what some of these women went through and how, you know, they were running and they couldn't listen to, you know, their vulnerabilities. They, they were always distracting themselves. And I'm wondering, you know, if we could delve, you know, on, a, a little bit deeper, look psychoanalytically, you know, what, what's the root of that? Is it fear? And, and if it is fear, what exactly are you afraid of when you're, you know, in, in, that, um, in that state of mind? Sure, sure. Great question. I think it is a fear, like you're talking about, Ricky. Um, I really have done a ton of thinking through uh, the fear. And I think for me, it was the fear of pain, experiencing pain. And it, part of it could be kind of a fear of missing out. You know, there's always kind of that in our 24 7 technology riddled uh, society. Uh, we always have that at our fingertips. It could be that fear of missing out. But I think a lot of it has to do with um, the, the fear of pain. I think for me um, is that when I started being more mindful, it was, um, I, I became a firm believer in that pain demands to be felt. Um, and if we don't feel it, and acknowledge it, deal with it, that the pain will continue to surface in a variety of ways, you know, and, until we yeah. do. And so honestly, one of the most valuable gifts that I have been given in my personal journey thus far is that pain, allowing myself to feel the pain will not kill me. I mean, as much as it kind of feels like it might, I mean, seriously, mm. sometimes it feels like it might. But it doesn't. And I think there's a lot of freedom in realizing that, that the pain is a teacher. Um, and that yeah. feeling the pain is one of the kindest things I can do for myself and for others because it, it, it passes on, you know, that, that negative energy um, if we don't deal with it. And so if I tune in, what, what I like to do, because that fear is real, okay, right. it's, it's real. So my advice and, and what has worked for me is that, um, if I tune into my body's sensations and I notice my mind's thoughts through the processing of the pain, I can begin that healing process. So I think tuning into your body, how, how maybe, your, maybe your chest feels kind of tight or your throat. A lot of times people feel their throat 
you know, tighten up or their shoulders, you know, start to go up towards their earlobes, those sorts of things. But just get curious about how pain feels. We're talking about uh, mindfulness pretty pretty generally, and you talk about um, tuning into your body's sensations. I think a lot of folks listening might be a little bit confused about you know what mindfulness is specifically, because I know there's a lot of schools of thought on what it means yeah. to be mindful, how to practice mindfulness. Is it as simple as just physically taking a shower and feeling you know the hot water across your face and, and the sense and the sounds, or is it something deeper, Amy, than just the physiological sensations? There are a lot of opinions and I'm sure well-rooted uh, research in the definitions of mindfulness. For me, my personal definition of mindfulness is to notice what's going on inside and around me. So let's unpack that for a second. So what's going on inside of me could be my thoughts, my emotions that I'm feeling, the ruminations about the past, the planning for the future, that's inside. But then what's going on outside could be, you know, observing my surroundings. You know, I, I'm sitting across the table from a loved one. I'm driving on a busy interstate. I'm walking on a wooded path and I see a beautiful purple flower paying attention outside. And, and I would also say that um, what's going on inside can even be um, sensing our body sensations that we, we were just talking about. And that's mm -hmm. also very useful. And I wonder if, you know, if, if we take a look really a, a 10,000 foot view here at where we are, you know, in, in history in, in 2020, I think it, it just feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's more difficult than ever to be mindful in this day and age, because let's face it, we have so many stimuli competing for our attention. In a lot of ways, I believe, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, that we're enslaved to our devices. We're toggling between our iPhone and our laptop and our tablet, and at any given moment, responding to an email or text or Facebook message. And I don't know if you agree with this, but I do think we're experiencing this sort of cultural ADHD, Amy, where everyone's mind is always somewhere else and no one is ever really present. I mean, when you think about it, we have news, we have email, you know, the phone calls, the social media updates, and, and more at our fingertips all around the clock. It, it never stops. Um, and we're in a particularly heightened um, moment uh, at this juncture in the human history um, with COVID and social unrest um, and what's going on with our schools now that we're in this situation. And it's, it's very complicated right now. And it feels like there's a constant update that tells you um, perhaps even something that was completely different than it was 12 hours ago. And it feels, it can feel like a tug of war on, on your, on your body, on your emotions, but also just on your attention, like you're talking about. And it's, mm. I, I, you know, it's interesting because um, when I, I, I consider technology um, as it's very useful, but at the same time, it can also be uh, what I call a convenient distraction or an exit ramp. Mm. Um, so uh, instead of, you know, staying on your course and focusing on your path and your intentions, but it, it's very easy to take those exit ramps, you know, it's just always there. Um, and it, it's a, it's a real problem <laughs> in today's yeah. day and age. You feel like somebody's always, you know, slap, slap in their pocket cause you know, they just got a buzz and, um, it's, it's tough, Ricky. 
Yeah. Look, you, I mean, I, I want to unpack some of that because, because, you know, I, you're, you're hitting on some, on some issues which are uh, particularly insightful. I love this analogy of the, you know, the phone or the technology as an exit ramp, but more specifically what you said about attention, because, you know, in, in this day and age, like you said, attention is, is such a commodity. And I think a part of being mindful is, is really meta attention, metacognition, paying attention to what you're paying attention to. Um, because, it's, it's, it's pretty much if you let yourself be, you know, you mentioned mindfulness is, is being in touch with what's going on around you and inside you. If you're, you let yourself just be um, re- reactive to what's happening instead of proactive, I, I, I don't see how you can really unlock that, uh, you know, that next, um, next level of, of awareness that would be required to, to live a, a mindful life. Absolutely. And this, you've hit on a point that's really, really important, I think, and I've been spending a lot of time thinking about recently, is that we're often faced with a choice to be reactive, especially where we are at this juncture in, in human existence. We are mm-hmm. faced with a choice to be reactive about what we see, about what we hear, or we can in, instead choose to respond. And I think that the differentiation between those two is enormous because being reactive is seeing something on Twitter and spouting off and causing a storm online. Um, that's react. That's reactivity. But responding is quieting yourself, breathing, noticing your thoughts, whether they be positive or negative to a stimulus, and mm. and then coming to a clear understanding before you respond. It is such a gift right now to respond instead of react. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm hoping to do and to bring that to, to the public discussion um, with everything that's going on right now. Is, is, it's my wholesome intention to respond. That's, that's so beautifully said. I, I think um, especially in, in this divisive age of, uh, you know, where it seems like there's, there's so much of a breakdown in discourse to actually take a moment, take a breath and think through what you're going to say and respond rather than just react. But just to, you know, sort of uh, veer this conversation a little bit uh, more towards the, the bright side, um, you know, in this age of, of distraction and technology, what do you think, Amy, might be some daily strategies uh, for listeners that might help them be more present focused and be more mindful. If as you, as you said, every hour, every 12 hours, there's an important update with COVID and with the schools and with politics, how can people um, be more present focused? Sure. For me, um, I am a firm believer in sitting quietly every single day, even if it's for one minute, set a timer or don't just sit and notice your breath, how it feels going into your body. Notice how it feels exiting your lips. Just take one minute. It would be amazing. It's amazing to feel what that does for you. Sometimes when I would work in um, a while back, I worked in, in an office and there were days where it was extremely stressful. And what I would do is when I would get to kind of that point where I would notice inside of myself, I was, I was getting very worked up. And this can be because of work or social media or just the the onslaught of everything that comes. I would stand up from my desk, push in my chair, and I would take a walk around the building. And I would breathe calmly, 
and I would come and sit back and it was amazing. <laughs> it felt like a frontal lobotomy, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I felt like a completely different person. Um, because if, if you sit with all of that for too long and, and, and let, let the thought spin too much, it can, it can become very, very, uh, tumultuous inside so sitting quietly every day taking a just even a walk around your building to breathe before you respond sometimes if an email um, or a social media post or a phone call or text if it activates you that's that's a common term if you feel activated you feel anger or some kind of negative response do um, sit and breathe for a moment um, those are huge the other thing that I would recommend um, and this is something that I've done for probably probably a year and a half, Ricky, is I've been um, doing what I call the glowy daily reflection practice. And um, I developed this um, over the course of writing my book, and I've included it in, in my book. It's an acronym that I use every single morning as I do my mindfulness journaling practice. And each of the letters in this acronym stand for something that kind of guide me to be more mindful and connect with myself before I head out and into the world. So it helps me become uh, more responsive instead of reactive because I'm kind of checking in with myself, which is a big part of being mindful, being mindful and developing it. Um, and so if I could take a moment, I'd like to tell you what that is. Oh my God. Yeah, please, please. I'm, I'm writing this down. I want to, okay. <laughs> I want, I, I, I want to start doing this every morning. Yeah. Yeah. Share, share with us what glowy stands for. It's huge. Um, so the G stands for gratitude. And so you, touch base first thing in the morning recognize those things in your life you're grateful for and it could be one thing or it could be 10 things or more um it kind of depends on the day the l and glowy stands for lift up and so this this is where you can identify the circumstances or the people or the struggles that are causing you or others to to suffer um so those things that need lifted up or it could be that you need resources or wisdom or other folks need wisdom or resources about certain situations. And that gives you a chance to lift that up. The O, so the, the third letter is for observe. And we've been talking about that a lot today, Ricky, is scanning your body, noting those sensations, the thoughts and the feelings, maybe even the aches and the pains, um, or how maybe something feels better in your body. Maybe you're feeling more limber today. It could be something positive. Um, and then also observing your surroundings. Um, you may notice that it's kind of a, a bright, cheery day today. Um, and that's, that's worth noting. Um, or it could be that you love, um, you know, the beautiful flowers that are outside of your window and they're finally blooming. Um, and so that's a very important part, the center of, of all of this. The fourth letter is W and uh, that is wholesome intention. So what I like to do is to set a clear, positive statement of an outcome, an outcome that I want to experience, perhaps for that day or for that month or that year. It could be something that you repeat a lot. It could be how you intend to be or live or show up. So um, sometimes it's a little bit hard to um, explain. And so something it could be something like, um, you know, my wholesome intention is to be fully present in the conversation with um, my best friend today. And so that's just how you plan to show up. I, I, I intend to be fully present. Maybe you know that that friend is struggling with something and your intention for today is to show up and be present fully 
for that conversation. Um, and it's, it's powerful that setting intention is an extremely powerful thing, which I'm sure as you study psychology, you understand that um, the intention setting is very important. And, and the last letter is Y, and this stands for you are. So write a positive affirmation or several about who you are. So um, this could be, um, if I'm writing this about myself, I could say, you know, Amy, um, you are a published author um, with a kind, loving heart. So it's something positive that you just want to say, yes, this is who you are. Claim it for yourself and, and affirm yourself. So some self-love there at the end to send you out on your day. Wow. Wow. And you said you, you made this up on your own? I did. I did. And it's very included cool. in it's. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, it's been a beautiful practice for me. And I'm, I've, I've heard of other readers who have been going back to it and they've, that's really been useful to them. That's been great feedback for me. Um, actually on my website, amymorgan.com, um, there are free downloads and this is one of those. You could download this and print it out. Um, and you could just, you know, you could think your responses if you just had this uh, in a convenient place, or you can, print out a hundred of these and, and, and write it out as many days as you want. So um, I definitely want this to, to spread around because it's been very transformational for me. Definitely. And I'm, I'm a sucker for a good acronym. Uh, okay. <laughs> and much, much like, and, and much like you, I'm also a uh, very type A oriented in my mindset. So I think it's very easy to, you know, wake up and as you're stretching and making your bed, just say, gee, gratitude. You know, I'm grateful for this. L, lift up. You know, oh, observe. What do you see around you? And just sort of like go through it mechanically. I think you do that enough times, um, you know, and it becomes a habit. I want to chat with you about your book, The Chaos Antidote, A Fable About Mindfulness. Why, the first question is, you know, why choose to tell this story through a fable? You know, a lot of self-help books, I'm sure, you know, essentially just give general advice, kind of like Dale Carnegie asked, this is what you should do. You chose to, to go about it a different way by actually telling a story. So, so why did you do that? Sure. Um, well, fables are classic. Um, I really like a fable for myself when I learn. Um, what I kind of have done is taken loads of research of my own and put it into um, a story that really, it just really comes to life. What I really wanted to do was to um, hopefully appeal to folks who perhaps have heard about mindfulness, maybe dabbled in it a little bit, um, maybe weren't quite sure what it truly meant. And for them to say, I'm interested, but I really want to know what it's all about. And so what I love about it, Ricky, is that um, being a fable, it allows folks to kind of be a fly on the wall. It makes it real. I think it's really powerful in self-help um, when you can see a behavior modeled. And that's really what I wanted to do um, by, by teaching mindfulness through a story. And uh, I think one of the powerful things about it too is that um, in mindfulness, um, you know, all kinds of thoughts that come up when you're trying to practice mindfulness. Right. All kinds of thoughts. And um, I, Megan is the main character. And what I love about um, being able to tell this story um, in a parable format is that you actually get to see inside Megan's thoughts. Mm. And um, spoiler alert is I, I really identify a lot with Megan. And so um, as someone who's, um, you know, you know, very um, 
organized and type A and likes things to be, you know, as perfect as I can. Um, she is really that kind of person and she really um, has to come to terms with uh, slowing down and putting her phone down and being present um, because life is getting really intense for her and Simone and Lucia and life is kind of demanding her to be more present. For sure, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, you, you struck one of the benefits of, uh, you know, telling a story through a fable, and that's the relatability factor. I think a lot of people who struggle with these issues might feel like they're alone or they're in the minority. But when you craft these, these characters, um, and folks reading will be like, you know, will actually be able to identify with Megan's thoughts and her feelings and experiences. That just makes people feel like there is hope and there is, you know, an answer and, and they're not alone in this. Absolutely. That is absolutely part of the reason. And, you know, in your book, you talk a lot about how mindfulness doesn't necessarily require you to live in the present moment 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but more so to practice daily mindful habits. And, you know, given the, the name of the podcast, Nervous Habits, I, I want to talk about what some of those are, Amy. Oh, um, sure. That's perfect. I know that in your book, to start, you talk a lot about uh, meditation and do you find that, you know, you get, you get pushback from people who either number one, say that they can't set aside time to meditate or number two, that people can't quiet the noise. People can't turn off <laughs> their internal stream of consciousness. They go to listen to the music, they close their eyes and they just can't calm down. They can't relax. Which of those two do you get, you know, more pushback from? Oh, I I think there are so many reasons for pushback. Um, and some of those are in discussions that come up with folks. Some of them are in forums where I've you know, been doing research and trying to figure out um, how to help folks, um, what some of the major um, stumbling blocks are. Um, a lot of the ones I hear are, um, it takes too much time, kind of, a, I don't have time for this. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it seems a little, what I call even in the book, a little woo-woo. So it kind of feels, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of a little too mystical for me. Um, it could be, you know, there's definitely that yeah. kind of concern. Um, maybe it's pointless or, you know, if I get comfortable, then I fall asleep or I do get distracted or how do I, you know, set my phone down long enough because, you know, I've got to make sure so-and-so won't call, you know, it's very important. And so there are just, there are an infinite number of reasons, excuses not to do it. And, and mm -hmm. all of them in some ways kind of legitimate, but on the other hand, um, it just takes practice, you know, and one of the things that um, one of my friends is um, a karate black belt, a good friend of mine, and um, he had said, you know, really being mindful is like... Um, an exercise. You're training your mind. It's like a repetition. And so breathing in and out, that's one. And so it's just about building the mindful muscles. Definitely. It's funny, as you sort of went through the, the excuses, um, I, I thought about how sometimes when I try to meditate, I use uh, YouTube videos. And halfway through my meditation, Amy, I'll get like an advert an advertisement will come oh. up <laughs> and, 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 and I want you to imagine, you know, uh, you're close, your eyes are closed. You're completely at peace. And then you hear like now at Applebee's, you know, half apps are back <laughs> after 10 PM, you know, two for 10 99. And it's just like completely, because I do think, as you said, it, you know, these are legitimate um, reasons where it's just difficult, not only to carve out the time, but to carve out the, the state of mind. And, <clears throat> and a lot of people, 
I don't know if, if you have this opinion, but people say that uh, successful meditating means you sort of, you transcend your physical, your body, and you actually forget where you are. And that's, that's difficult for, you know, people to, to experience. I, I think, as you said, it comes with time. Is there, you know, any alternative to meditating? You, you talked earlier about how, if, you know, you can have some, you know, quiet time every day for a few minutes. Could that be an alternative for folks listening that just can't seem to, to get this meditation thing down? You know what I think would most be most useful is maybe to share um, maybe one of my tips for for sitting quietly because I tried a lot of different things and maybe it will be helpful to one person or a lot of folks, um, but it helps with kind of that monkey brain. You know, we talk a lot about that a lot around mm-hmm. mindfulness, this monkey brain, um, because you talk about alternatives and kind of approaches and all these distractions. This is what I have found has worked for me is that, um, and it helps with the, the forming the responsive nature instead of reactive. Um, because I'm, I'm choosing to sit there instead of get up and go find my phone or get up and go do another load of laundry or, Oh, get up and text so-and-so. Cause I forgot to tell him. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it is a constant just sitting and and uh, realizing that I don't have to constantly respond. It's kind of a vacation from, or, or react. I, I don't have to constantly react. And so it trains me that that's okay. So this is what I do, Ricky, is <clears throat> the way that I, find, that I find that it works best for me to meditate when I'm sitting, whether I have a little bit of calm music going or I'm completely quiet, is that I will notice, I will allow my thoughts to line up like school kids at a water fountain. You know, they can line up. I see you, you're coming, okay? And you'll each get your turn. Hmm. But I, I start to look at all of my thoughts. I'll pick them up a bubble at a time and I make them slow down enough so I can see them go across my mind, like just floating across. And I recognize that if I start chasing after that bubble and start, you know, thinking it to pieces, it's going to pop. I'm going to make a mess. So I just have to watch it go by. Again, being responsive instead of reactive, okay? And so it could be, you know, you know, thought number one is um, I need to get groceries tonight. Okay. Mm -hmm. And thought number two is um, I'm feeling overwhelmed with, you know, the balancing of work and family responsibilities right now. I have two young kids and getting ready to start, you know, e-learning with them. Or it could be number three. I'm really excited to talk with Ricky on his show today. It can be all kinds <laughs> of things, you know? So, um, but just seeing them go across your consciousness, it's, it's, it's amazing how many thoughts you have, but it's amazing how calming it can be just to recognize what's going on in your brain. Cause half the time I think we can get this monkey brain where it controls us instead of us realizing all of these separate thoughts are happening and you might see 12 in a row that are, you know, angry thoughts about a fight you had. Um, and you start, then when you stand up from your mindfulness practice, you think I'm still really worked up about that and I'm in touch mm-hmm. with it instead of just working from this place of generalized anger that I'm kind of spewing all over the world. I'm in touch with, with, with what's going on with me. And that's a beautiful thing. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I mean, I, I really appreciate the visual imagery. I think the analogy of the children lining up at the water <laughs> fountain or at the school bus that is that is is incredible. And I think um, I don't know if you've ever heard of there's 
there's this, uh, these people on YouTube, they're called the honest guys and they do anxiety meditation. Um, so if, if you, if you are struggling with anxiety and you're, and you're looking for, um, you know, an app or, or something to listen to that'll help you calm down. I recommend the honest guys because something they say, Amy, which, which I appreciate is in the middle of the meditation, um, you know, they're, they're going on, they're telling you about like, feel the tightness in your chest, feel, you know, the sensations at your feet and on your back. And then they say, you know, if, if you find your mind wandering, if you, you know, find other thoughts popping up out of nowhere, just don't, you know, don't judge yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Just gently nudge your attention back to the center. So I think having that mindset of, you know, being non-judgmental, being kind to yourself when you're having trouble focusing is so critical instead of, you know, saying, oh man, I can't believe I can't sit for 10 minutes. I'm such a screw up. I'll never get anything right. And just understanding that you're not perfect and, you know, these things happen and it's going to take time. I, I certainly appreciated that, uh, that bit of advice. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you added that in because I think that's a huge hurdle um, to developing mindfulness is this quote unquote, I'm not doing it right. And, mm. and feeling like if, if the thoughts keep coming a million miles an hour, I'm not doing it right. And, and it's really just about just giving yourself compassion when you recognize it, it. You could be off on a tangent for five minutes and not even realize it and all of a sudden realize, oh, goodness, okay, back to my breath, you know? And, and, <laughs> yeah. and instead of spending the next five minutes beating yourself up and going down the spiral, just recognizing that you did it and move back to the breath. It's just practice. There's, there's not a doing it right. It's just, it's a practice. I think that's mm -hmm. really, really important to mention. Definitely. So glad that you did. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you also talk in your book a lot about uh, mindful movement. So what exactly does that entail? Sure. Um, well, you know, a lot of folks may think that mindful movement is only about yoga, which is certainly a, a, a chunk of the, the content um, that is shared in my book. And so you really just get, get to hear essentially in a lot of ways kind of guided uh, physical um, um, movements um, by, by the teacher. And um, yoga is rich in a lot of varieties. You know, personally, I, I really love yin yoga. That's one that's very near and dear to my heart. So that's one type of mindful movement. However, it, mindful movement is also about walking mindfully. And, you know, the first time I practiced walking mindfully in a group, I, I had that strong feeling again, like, I'm not doing it right, <laughs> you know? And um, I, I just really, really struggled to move slowly because I'm such, um, I'm typically a fast talker. I'm a fast walker. Yeah. You're, I, you're a type, you're a type A. It's in your I'm nature to, a. you know, to have that New York strut, get to where you're going. <laughs> I am. Um, I'm, I'm that kind of person. And so it felt so unnatural to try to feel, you know, the heel of my foot, the ball, the toes, you know, as they touch the ground and flow in a movement as I'm willing myself to walk and how my arms move and my hips shift and my legs, you know, support all of this movement, paying attention to that um, was really difficult. But it, it's interesting because this kind of walking meditation, it's a practice of slowing your body. And it's interesting to note that how often when I slow my body, my mind will follow suit because it's in my body. You know, and it's kind of the same thing with when you're sitting, your mind goes, okay, I'm sitting, you know, I'm not moving around. 
100 miles an hour. I'm sitting. So physically, it's, it's, it's a melding, you know, between the physical body and, and um, kind of our mental state. Um, and those two are very much so hand in hand. And I think, I think uh, you know, it, it's interesting because we started out earlier in the conversation talking about um, how folks are trying to distract themselves and you're never really in the present moment. And I think walking, Amy, is a really perfect example of this sort of restlessness where people don't know what to do with their mind, right? You're, you have to walk to get a cup of coffee and you can just, you can literally sit outside your window and watch people walking on the sidewalk and you'll see people are always on the phone. People are always staring down and texting. People are always, you know, doing something with their hands and their minds and no one is ever just standing still, as you said, feeling the balls of their feet, feeling the heels, feeling their, and, and it just, you know, reinforces this people, people are so reluctant to, to embrace that mindfulness and they're just seeking out distraction. I think, I think it goes back to that fear of what you said and, and uh, really listening to your body and listening to your mind. It's, it's powerful. It's powerful. And I really want to hit upon this, um, this idea that you've just brought up because I think it, um, it, we both have a lot to offer in this conversation, Ricky, is this, this sense of whether you um, are watching somebody cross the street, cross the street, um, or they're at a, at a coffee shop with a friend or alone, um, wherever folks are in, in the checkout line at the grocery store, we're on our phones, whether mm -hmm. it's to our personal detriment or not. I saw a person not long ago who was riding their bike, had their dog on a leash as they were biking with them, and their phone all at one time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Wow. I, that would be a whole podcast around that whole scene. No. <laughs> Actually, I've done uh, several episodes speaking to folks on behavioral addiction. And, you know, the, the best example that I like to give about the phone addiction uh, is when you step inside an elevator, let's say you're on the first floor and you're going to the third floor, folks yes. will pull a phone out of their pocket, check to see if there's any notifications and put it right back in all in one mechanical motion that takes pr probably like two seconds. So it's this ingrained behavioral thing. That's, that's a whole nother um, conversation, but you are right that it's it's a symptom of a greater problem that I think being more mindful can help. Uh, you know, can help to to relieve some of that uh, that anxiety and that that addictive tendency. Absolutely. And another habit, another modality that you talk about is you actually advise that your readers have a day of silence. So is that is that a full day of silence? And and you know what exactly does that entail? Sure. It can be a full day or it can be a half day of silence. Um, I will be completely honest that the first time I participated in a day of silence with other humans while we still could, you know, be around other humans, um, I, it was just the most incredibly difficult thing I've ever done. It, it sincerely was. And I had been training for weeks uh, to lead up to this point, and it was still very difficult. However, the bright, the bright side of it is that now it's something that I ache for and that I actually willingly uh, practice on my own. And so why it was difficult for me was that something very painful came up for me during that day, and I couldn't talk about it or write about it or distract myself. I had to sit with it. And so that came back to that whole feeling of, you know, um, 
what do I do with pain? And I had to sit with it that day. Um, but what happened was completely beautiful is that by being quiet, I processed this uh, very old pain of mine in a way that it had never been processed. And I felt healed in a way that I don't know that would have been possible without being quiet. Because whenever I would feel that pain come up, I would distract myself. I would go do something else. I would I'd go take a jog or do something else. But I sat with it and I felt a profound healing happen because of that. And um, mindful, a, a day of silence can be a lot of things. Um, in, in the ones that um, I've participated in with other folks, um, there's, of course, a lot of sitting. Um, there is mindful movement, um, like we've talked about. Um, there is a walking meditation, uh, and there's even eating meditation. So that includes just sitting down to your lunch and tasting everything, noticing the texture as, it, as you're chewing it. Uh, smell it before you even put it in your mouth. Um, just really pay attention to what you eat and what you drink. So eating, so, so, so the last thing you just said about eating meditation, I think that is, uh, dare I say, mainstream insofar as like people, they have the mindful exercise about the chocolate. You're supposed to mm. eat a piece of dark chocolate. Very, I think this might've been something Ellen Langer spoke about, or, or um, maybe, um, you know, maybe it was another mindful scholar, but when you put the dark chocolate in your mouth, you let it rest on your tongue, you smell it, all that. So um, that's, that would be characterized as, as a form of the eating meditation. Yes, and that extends to you know your salad and um, yeah. your iced tea and 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 whatnot. Maybe just taking a sip of cold water. Could you? Could that be? You're dehydrated and and actually like feeling you know the the sensations of taking a sip of your water and swallowing and all that. Yeah, feeling it move down into your stomach. It's really interesting, and it's just a you know a touch point, a connection with your physical body. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of a day of silence. I think that when you're, you know, spending time with someone um, in person, there's so much that gets lost when you're just, your conversation consists of reacting or responding to what the other person says verbally, just the content. And if you don't have silence and you, you know, you leave it to your eyes and to your face and to your body to communicate uh, I think there's something there's something very genuine in that something that can't be faked. Uh, so I'm I'm you know definitely going to consider that at some point in the future, and and I, I hope you know folks listening will will as well. Absolutely, I, I would add before we finish this section, um, what I think is really powerful about um, practicing mindful, whether it's a day of silence or moving uh, mindfully or sitting mindfully, walking mindfully, any of these activities with other people, it's just so powerful to be in the presence of other people who are calm, who are not reacting, who um, it, it encourages you that we're all gonna be okay and mm -hmm. we can be calm in this together. Um, it, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. So that's my last thought on that. Oh, for sure. And, and I actually have, have a little anecdote about that specifically. So when I was younger, I went on a, on a trip to Israel with, uh, with Birthright. And one of the activities that they had us do, it was a group of 30, 40 young people. They, uh, we were in the, the Bedouin Desert um, uh, in, in the Middle East, in Israel. And they had, you know, all 40 of us walk into the middle of the desert um, and lie down on the ground for about an hour and just watch the stars in complete <sighs> 
in complete silence. We didn't have our phone. We, you know, we, uh, I don't even, I can't remember if they didn't let us use our phones or, or everyone's phones were just off, but there were no phones. There was no talking. We just lied on our back for an hour in silence and just watched the stars. And that, that was probably, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, one of the times in my life where I felt most in touch with nature and most in touch with the world. And I, I yearn for, for that kind of connection again. I don't know how, you know, someone could experience that in a, in a city like Washington, D.C. or in Indianapolis where you are. But I, I think that's a nice example of what you're talking about. Mm, I, absolutely. I'm tearing up just thinking about that. That sounds so, so lovely right now. So great. And just to be, be uh, you know, uh, away from, from the world. And I do go on camping trips every now and then. And, and, but it's, it's hard to recreate that that, um, you know, that feeling exactly. And the last thing that you talked about um, in terms of the mindful modalities was this idea of creating mindfully. So why is that important? I believe that creating mindfully is akin to allowing our inner child come out to play. It's really a time of delight. And you might just find that your inner child is actually quite wise. And so, you know, creating can, um, it can come in a lot of forms, you know, woodworking, jewelry creation, that's actually one of my favorites, writing, also a favorite, music, painting, drawing, photography, videography, um, much, much more. And creating can be very mindful as an activity because we can focus so singularly on a project and we become in tune with our body and that creative part in our brain helps calm us. It really does. It's, 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 it's a discipline, like really everything else we've talked about. Um, but I find it's very joyful. Um, and sometimes for me, I don't know if you have um, maybe a hobby or an art or a craft that, um, that speaks to you. I know a lot of people do. Um, but I find sometimes when I have a lot of emotions that I don't know what to do with, um, maybe meditation is helping me or maybe it's just a really big struggle at the moment. So sometimes I'll allow myself to create um, go to my basement, pull out my, you know, my tackle boxes full of all my beads and wires and all my sorts of things, and I will make something, and I will feel better for it, because it's almost like I've, um, in creating something, um, I've expressed something um, that maybe words or presence really couldn't, and um, in, in that way, I've connected to myself um, in a way that words, you know, are, are, are insufficient. Exactly. I do think, though, I will say, um, in terms of all the different variations that you listed out, I'm very partial to creative writing. Sometimes what I'll do, I have um, tons of legal writing pads and notepads around my apartment, is I'll literally, if I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed out at the end of the day, I'll pick up a pen I'll, you know, and, and I'll pick up a, a writing pad and I'll just let whatever flows out of my body um, and my mind come you know, come through. I mean, it's not, it's not always, like you said, it's not always words. Sometimes it's doodling. Sometimes it's, it's almost like calligraphy and just, you know, writing, um, you know, writing a sentence or, uh, and sometimes it is, sometimes it's, uh, you know, journaling my feelings or, or my, you know, my, my ideas, my thoughts. But, uh, I recommend to everyone listening that if, if you are feeling stressed out or you are maybe interested in, um, exploring mindfulness, even if you know it's only for a minute or two, just take pick up a notepad, pick up a pen, and just write whatever you want without 
you know, imposing rules or limitations on yourself. Oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. And actually, um, one of the first books that I recommend in my appendix, uh, appendix A, is The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I swear to God, this thing is divinely created. It's inspired. Um, it's, um, and it really talks about what you just said, is that um, really writing three pages a day, just even just first thing, kind of stream of consciousness, um, is, is just uh, a way to feed yourself and to allow um, processing. Um, it's just a beautiful thing to do. So absolutely, you're right on the track. Yeah, I, I also I I just love the philosophy of of just letting things happen, not not setting. And I know there's a Type A person. This doesn't come naturally to either of us, but not <laughs> setting you know rigid rules or um, standards for you to follow. Like I know some self help gurus will say you have to spend 30 minutes a day doing this and over time. But it's almost like I, I don't know if you're um, you know a, a gym rat, but if you go to the gym and you have 10 different workout regimens that you want to do, 10 different machines, 10 different workouts, go into the gym, become something that you loathe and something that seems like a <laughs> chore and a task, as opposed to walking into the gym and saying, I'm just going to work out whatever feels naturally. Maybe I'll, I'll do a little ab workout. Maybe I'll work out my biceps, my triceps. You know, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't treat every activity like, you know, you're a soccer coach and, and in a high school soccer program and, and you're, you know, and you're looking at it like that because I do think over time you, you know, you will sort of resent it as opposed to, to having it be something that you enjoy for its own sake. Absolutely. That's a really great point. Instead of it being something that's hugely regimented, um, you know, a chunk of minutes that you're dedicating to it for a while, but you, maybe you find at the end of the practice that, um, you know, I might want to sit for a minute a day, but really I want to, I want to practice creating more, you know, I, I want to be like Ricky. I want to sit down and just let stream of <laughs> consciousness happen, you know, or maybe I want to take uh, a mindful walk around my office building every single day or as the as the moment starts building within me you know i'm starting to feel agitated that will be the tool that i'll pull out so it can be something um as simple as that you know i'm kind of hoping through the training that um the folks will walk away with it or i'll walk away from it saying this is perhaps the modality or the modalities or the habits um, that work best for me and i want to lean into these there are many ways to go about it not just one way mm-hmm yeah, for sure. And, and uh, really, I mean, that's well put. And, and I think the, uh, the takeaway there is that if you do something because you have to, eventually, you know, it, there's going to be attrition. You're not going to be able to stick to it. As opposed to if you do something because you want to, you know, you mentioned Glowy earlier, doing it every morning. If, if, if you actually get something out of that um, and you enjoy it intrinsically as opposed to as a means to an end, you're more likely to continue it over a long period of time as, you know, um, as opposed to the alternative. So that's, I think that's something to note as well. Um, well, listen, yeah. Amy, this has been a wonderful conversation for all those listening. You can purchase Amy's book, the chaos antidote, a fable about mindfulness online at amymorgan.com. That's a I M E E M O R G A N.com as well as on, um, Amazon, uh, and I believe anywhere else books are sold, right? They can purchase the book or is it only on Amazon and on your website? Um, you can purchase it um, also on Barnes and Noble online mm -hmm. and Walmart online and other, you know, major online retailers are also um, stocking it and providing that for folks. Amazing. Amazing. And as a, a special treat uh, to my listeners, we're actually going to be doing a book giveaway. Amy, would you uh, let us know how that's going to work? 
Absolutely. I'm excited to do this. So you can enter to win a signed copy, which in the whole universe at the recording of this uh, podcast, there are only two signed copies. Uh, so you will get wow. one of uh, those signed copies um, of The Chaos Antidote, a fable about mindfulness. If you sign up for my author e-newsletter, which you can do that at the same address that Ricky just mentioned, amymorgan.com, A-I-M-E-E-M-O-R-G-A-N.com. Down at the bottom right, um, just click that sign up button um, with your email address in the slot. And all the e-newsletter subscribers will be entered to win a signed copy of my book. So you want to subscribe to make sure that you're on the list. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for, for doing that. Um, I appreciate it. I'm sure listeners do as well. And lastly, uh, for folks listening on the socials, where can they go to connect with you and learn more about you and your work on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera? Super. Um, you can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, also on Goodreads. Um, my handle on social media um, is mostly the Amy Morgan, uh, so it's a good way to find me. Um, or you can just go back to my website, and and the links are in there for for quick reference. I'm very excited uh, to announce that I am working on recording an audiobook version of the Chaos Antidote, a fable about mindfulness. Um, by popular demand. Um, that has been something that a lot of folks have asked me to do, so I'm going to do that. Um, and I'm also working on a daily mindfulness journal. Um, hope that will be released before too long as well. And I'm working on that second major book. So um, definitely sign up for the e-newsletter um, at amyorgan.com so you stay up to date on what's coming up. Yeah, no, thank you so much for, for sharing that. It sounds like in the spirit of, of distracting yourself and, and um, you know, looking towards the future, it does sound like you're keeping busy. So hopefully you are, <laughs> you are, hopefully you are carving out time to incorporate some of these, these modalities into your everyday life. Thank you for that blessing. I am, and it is certainly a balance right now, but um, I, I feel calmer and I like who I am better when I spend time being mindful. I'm so happy to hear that. Amy, I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. You've been a very gracious host. So in the weeks following my conversation with Amy, I actually started implementing some of the practices that we spoke about, uh, sitting silently for a minute or two every day, you know, writing down my thoughts as I had been doing, starting every day with Glowy, and closing my eyes and trying to meditate. And I think that as we talked about, People think that there's one set idea of what it means to meditate, sitting in a pretzel position with, you know, both of your uh, arms outstretched, humming, hum. But the reality is that is just one archetype of hundreds, thousands. I mean, meditation can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, but the important thing is that you're, you know, freeing yourself of all distractions and you're focusing on what's happening inside of your body. You're clearing you know, clearing your mind and all that. Rather than tell you guys that you should do a mindful breathing exercise and then have you finish this podcast and never think about it again, I might as well take advantage of the fact that I have your attention right now and actually walk you through a two-minute mindful breathing exercise to show you how easy it is and how you can literally do it at any point throughout your day and how relaxed and calm and at ease you're going to feel afterwards. Uh, so... I'm just going to walk you through it right now. You don't have to lie down. You don't have to sit down. If you're cooking, if you're cleaning, you can continue doing that. Um, but but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through this. This script is from mindfulexercises.com. 
Let's begin by taking a moment to allow your body to settle in a comfortable position. You can close your eyes or look downward just to limit visual distractions. See if you can soften any areas of physical tightness or tension. Maybe that means dropping your shoulders, wiggling your fingers, loosening your jaw, softening the muscles around the eyes, and relaxing the belly. Noticing where your body touches the ground or the chair. What does it feel like to have your body on the ground? The weight of gravity pulling you down to whatever you're touching. We're simply grounding our energy throughout our body, bringing awareness to simply what it feels like to be living in this body right now. Feeling the points of contact, just noticing any energies within the body and inviting a sense of ease and relaxation. And so today's primary practice will be mindfulness of breathing, simply bringing awareness to what it feels like physically to be breathing without judging anything to be good or bad, right or wrong. Simply being curious about what it feels like to be inhaling, exhaling, and to have that pause in between the inhale and the exhale. So with a soft belly and an open mind, I invite you to inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth, noticing the pause in between the exhale and then noticing the beginning of the next inhale and exhale, just relaxing the body, inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the mouth, inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the mouth. Breathing with a sense of ease following its natural rhythm, noticing the air as it moves through the nostrils, feeling the air as it goes out through the mouth, noticing what it feels like to have the air moved through the nostrils and the mouth. You might notice the belly rising and falling with each inhale and each exhale. Breathing with a sense of ease and curiosity. Sensing into each breath. Feeling the movements, the temperatures. Staying with the sensations in each moment the sense of kindness and ease. 
breathing in and out, feeling it without judging anything to be good or bad, right or wrong. You may stay with this for as long as you like. So I hope that if you took the time to do that, that you feel a little bit lighter, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit calmer now. If you want, you can actually go back, you know, rewind a couple minutes and do that again. But I recommend go to, if you go to mindfulexercises.com, they actually have a 28-day mindfulness challenge. The first few days you do mindful breathing, like I just mentioned, then you do a body scan. You know, you'll do focused attention, relieving stress, compassion, um, and then by the end of the 28 days, you'll be pretty much a, a mindfulness meditation expert yourself. So I recommend you check that out. Um, and yeah, like the biggest takeaway uh, from, at least for me, from from the episode has been just to you know open your mind. I mean, and and don't be like I said earlier, don't be hard on yourself and. Uh, you know, if you're having a, a, a tough time focusing, turning off the noise and the voices, that's totally understandable. That's okay. But as long as you're, you know, as long as you're trying, honestly, I think that's that's the most important part. And with that, I will see you next time here on Nervous Habits. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Nervous Habits Podcast. You can follow the pod on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter at Nervous Habits underscore, write to us on Gmail at Nervous Habits Podcast at gmail.com and search for clips and full episodes on YouTube. Uh, just search Nervous Habits Podcast. If you have not yet reviewed and rated the pod on Apple Podcasts, would very much appreciate if you do that. Helpful to me, helpful to other listeners. And remember, next time you leave your house to go on a walk, leave your phone at home and just practice walking mindfully. Take care and stay mindful.